Claude Jacobs. This is a translation from a recorded talk. So it's the Lunar Observance uh, Day, and the and we see that what has just passed was the fifteenth day of the sixth lunar month, and we all know that this is a very important day in the Buddha Sasana, uh, the day that the Buddha was born. He uh, attained to awakening and he passed into final nibbana. So it's very amazing that just after the birth of the Buddha, right after he was born, then he took seven steps. And some people find this difficult to believe. They think that no one now was around to witness that event. And it's just what is written in the scriptures. But if we look at the Bharami of the Buddha, it's quite profound. And we see that in the time of the Buddha, in previous times, that if you had told people then that it's possible to build a machine, a vehicle, that can hold 200 people in it, and it can fly to the other side of the world, you know, through the air, um, would they be able to believe that? Uh, because back then, there just weren't any vehicles like this. If you told them that it's possible to produce a car, <clears throat> or to produce other vehicles like this, uh, they'd find that difficult to swallow. Uh, they didn't have trains back then, they didn't have any of these other vehicles. If people wanted to travel somewhere, they had to walk, or they had to go by horse or by cart. And merchants uh, had to sell their merchandise um, in this way. And uh, so it'd be difficult for people then to believe in that, and to believe that these planes and these other things would be able to exist. And so it's the same now, that people don't think that it's possible for a Buddha to be born, and uh, for that Buddha, the Bodhisattva, to take seven steps. Because no one these days has seen anyone who can do that, who can walk straight after they were born. It's not something that we see in the present moment. But if we look into this present day and age, we can also see that there's no one who has the merit and the barami to be the foremost teacher of the world. That the Buddha could do this. He had developed jhanas to a really high degree previously. He developed these psychic powers, had a lot of strength and capabilities to his mind. While he was in his mother's womb, uh, he had complete mindfulness throughout the entire time. Uh, there was no lack to his mindfulness, and he knew um, and was aware of everything that was happening. And so he had this barami. He had developed these jhanas. He had these knowledges and powers. And so then it was possible uh, to be able to take these steps. If he had determined his mind to do that, then he was able to do that. So just after the Buddha was born, then he declared 
and that he was the foremost in the world, the highest, the best in the world. And there wasn't anyone that was able to compete with him. And he was born into a state that was kind of uh, abundant in every way. There was no lack. He was born into the Sakyan clan, into a good caste. And so he was the best in the world, and not just this world, but all three worlds. So we have this respect for the Buddha, Sasana, already, uh, and faith that is, this is a very important religion, and uh, the best religion that there is. And that this path that the Buddha attained to, uh, that took him to awakening, uh, that this is something that we're able to hear about, that we're able to practice as well. So before the Buddha awakened, he saw the reality of life, that when people are born, they must get old, they must get sick, and they must die. He saw the dangers there awaiting for him. So he saw that this is the state of all beings who are born, and the state of all sankharas, or conditioned phenomena. All these conditions must grow old, they must deteriorate, they must be done with, they need to decay to finish. Even though we may attach to them as being me and mine, they still need to be done with, they still need to disappear. But this mind, however, doesn't die. This mind is that which receives and knows these sense impressions. And this is what gets born again. This is what cycles around between birth and death again and again. So we may ask, well, what will we get born as next? And this depends upon the karma that we have produced. So today we've taken the five precepts or the eight precepts, and this is building merit through sila. And this merit, it gets stored within the hearts. We develop this through sila or through dana, through generosity. And this is very important, especially the sila, this morality is very important. In the beginning, we need to forbear with all of the sense impressions that we meet, all of the emotions that we experience. And it's important that when we come across a sense impression, especially something that's quite harsh, then we look after and care for our actions of body and speech. Because when the mind gets into a sunken, dull, gloomy state, it's possible for anger to arise. So we need to bring up this endurance first. And we don't respond. No, we don't and fight back. Because when people don't have this patient endurance, then they respond to those things. And this creates a lot of chaos. And that's because they're not keeping their actions of body and speech within the bounds of sila. And so they don't meet with peace. And so what this means is that their families get all stirred up and chaotic. And the reason that we live in societies, or we have households, or villages, or cities, or countries that aren't peaceful, is because the members of those households or countries, they don't keep their sila well. And when people grow older, and they don't have sila, then this creates even more chaos than children without sila. It stirs everything up, makes things very agitated. So we need to bring up this first, um, the strength of sila or virtue. 
and make sure that we stick to that. And just as the Buddha taught, he said, Silena Sukatengyanti, that Sila brings us happiness. And Sila brings heaven to us. And we see that if we live in a household where all the members of that keep good Sila, then it's like heaven is arising within our homes. They're happy places, they're peaceful places. And it's not the case that if we have a lot of wealth, then we will be happy. It depends upon our hearts, it depends on what we do, it depends on whether we have the sila, this virtue. Because if we have food, if we have clothing, we have shelter, we have medicine, all that really means is that we're able to survive. But what we need to do is take those things and this life and use it to raise our minds up, our hearts to be higher, to be better. And that's what really brings us happiness. Because if we just gain these other things and we use them unwisely, we attach to them, then they become a cause of suffering. And we don't meet with genuine happiness. So the Buddha taught that genuine happiness is to be found within a heart that is imbued with Dhamma. Even though people may be very wealthy, they may be rich, but they're also stingy, they don't share that out, then they just attach to that wealth that they have. And then when they die, they'll be stuck to that wealth. And so what benefit does it bring then? And there's just this suffering that's coming up because of the wealth that we've gained. And a person who is like that, are they intelligent or are they stupid? They've put in all this work, all this effort to gain all this money, but then they suffer due to that money. It becomes a danger for them. So can we call that person someone who's intelligent or someone who's foolish? If we're intelligent, if we're clever, then we need to use our wealth well. We need to be able to keep it well. And we need to know how to be generous so that we use that wealth to build up skillfulness and merit. And then this merit that we create through our generosity, this gets stored within our heart, it gets kept there within our hearts, and it brings benefits to us through the goodness that we've made. And then when our minds get born again, then they'll be born into a good place. And so this depends upon the merit and upon the demerit, the harmful acts that we have created. These things, both of them, the good comer and the bad comer, they get stored within our hearts, it gets kept there, uh, just like a seed. When that seed is put into fertile soil and there's rain and there's sunlight, then it will germinate and it will grow. It will develop roots and a stalk and then leaves, and eventually there'll be flowers and it will fruit. But all of these are stored within that seed. So all of the goodness and the badness that we've done, all of the good karma and the bad karma, this all gets stored there within our hearts. And then when the heart gains birth again, when it gets reborn, then it takes all of these along with it. It takes all of that karma with it as well. So if we've created goodness, if we've, it's been good karma, then this will lead us to happiness. We will gain wealth, we will gain praise and status and pleasure. 
if it's bad karma, then this will produce us or will take us to experience with loss and with uh, censure or blame, with loss of status and with pain. And so both of these, they come in pairs. So in the Buddha's time, there was one layman called Jyotika, and uh, he had created a lot of merit, and he was also very rich. And there was one time that a Brahmin stole some diamonds from him, and after that he made some merit and he made the determination that in the future none of his wealth would come by or would meet with any danger, with any loss. And so he made that determination, and the result of that was that in the future none of his wealth was stolen anymore. So therefore for us, when we are generous, then this transforms our outer wealth into a noble wealth, one that gets stored within our hearts. And even though some people, they've been born into quite a difficult circumstance, it's been lacking in many ways, but as they grow and they live their lives well, then they develop their barami. And the wealth that they have, the power, the influence that they have, this grows as well. So this shows that this is someone who does have merit. So therefore us, we shouldn't be heedless within our lives. Having been born into this life already, now we shouldn't be heedless in any way. We need to put an effort into this practice. So just like how we come to the monastery on these lunar observance days, or on a Saturday, or a Sunday, and we can determine that the Saturday and Sunday, these weekends, they are the lunar observance days for us. And we come, we're generous, we make merit, we offer food, we offer flowers, and we recollect the great and beautiful qualities of the Buddha. We pay homage to the Buddha. Recollect that he had this purity, this mind that was pure. And all people have minds, but for the most part they're afflicted with avicca, dhanha, anupadana, with this ignorance, with craving, whether it's the craving for sensuality, the craving to be and become, or the craving to not be or not become, or not have. And then there's upadana, this attachment, and these are the defilements. These are the things which pull our minds down, which make them gloomy. But the Buddha was, didn't have any of these within his heart, so that's why we say he had this quality of purity. He had the wisdom to permanently defeat and destroy all of the defilements, and he had compassion that was boundless, that was endless. So we recollect these great qualities of the Buddha, and through doing this, this is a form of merit and skillfulness for us. We recollect his purity, recollect his wisdom, we recollect his compassion. We also recollect the Dhamma, the teachings that he gave, and the Sangha, and we take these as our refuge. Sometimes through doing this, then joy arises within our hearts. There's this great inner fullness that comes up. And in the state, then our mind becomes a deva. When we keep these five precepts, and that brings our mind to a state of humanity. 
So therefore, with us having been born as humans, uh, we need to take care of these lives. And we should ask ourselves, how much time do we have left? How long have our lives been going for already? How many years, months, and days have we lived for? And how many do we have left? If we live to the age of 80, and we subtract the time that we've already spent in this world, then what's left? And we see that the time that we have left, no matter how long that is, it's always and steadily deteriorating. It's always getting less and less. We're always moving closer to death with each and every passing moment. Old age sickness and death is coming closer towards us. So we shouldn't be heedless. We shouldn't be heedless within our youth. We shouldn't be heedless in our lives or the time that we have left. But rather we try to put an effort with the life that we have remaining. We practice in order to develop merit, to develop skillfulness within our own hearts. And we do this to the greatest degree that we're able to do it. So we see that the wealth that all people gain in this world, that no one is able to take it out of the world. Even these bodies that we've been born into, we borrow them from the world, and no one is able to take them with them. We just depend on them temporarily. And so what about our wealth then? And we see that there's nothing at all that we can take with us. We have to be separated from everything and all the people in this world. So the reason that we're taught about anicca, dukkha, anatta, this instability, stress, and not-self, is for us to not be heedless. So the Buddha gave this last sermon before he passed into Parinibbana. He exhorted the monks to bring heedfulness to completion. And this was his last teaching, to be firmly established in heedfulness. And so do we see that? And do we see that the people who are heedless are as if dead already? They're, they've died from goodness, they've died from merit and from skillfulness. And even though they're still breathing, they're dead already. So the Buddha-sasana is here, and the teachings of the, the Buddha, the Dhamma, is here. But these people, they're just not interested in them. They have no concern about building goodness. So we see that they are dead from goodness, that they're devoid of goodness. They're devoid of skillfulness, of merit, even though they're still breathing. So for us, we have this breath. Uh, we're still alive and so we shouldn't be heedless. And those people who are heedful do not die. Because they're not dead uh, with regards to merit, with regards to skillfulness. So we need to try to build up goodness, just like we've done on this Lunar Observance Day through taking up these five precepts or eight precepts. So initially we can just take these up for one day a week, to be determined to take either these five or eight precepts um, on this day. And then as we carry on practicing, then we can take them up for two days a week, and then three days, then five days, until we're able to keep the precepts for all seven days. 
And when we're able to do this, then we're someone who is complete with regards to virtue, with regards to sila. And we're someone who has happiness there within the hearts. And then this happiness, we're able to spread that outwards to our families, to our societies. Because the virtue that we keep, this brings peace and this, this brings happiness to the people around us as well. So when we are intent to keep these precepts, when we have this virtue within our hearts, then this is heaven arising due to virtue. This is the benefit of generosity, the benefit of sila. Those people who have developed a lot of generosity, um, they receive things back in abundance. When they gain a new body, for instance, then the body is complete. Uh, it has all of the different parts there. We can ask, what is it like when people drink a lot of alcohol? What happens to them? Well, we see that when the mind is drunk, uh, then the abilities that it has reduces a lot. And this is the kind of karma that these people are making. So when the mind is in that state, and then it gets reborn, then it's like the mind builds the body. And it will produce, or likely to produce, a body that has a brain which doesn't function so well. Maybe that person uh, becomes kind of mentally disabled, or they don't have a very quick intellect. And this is because of the karma they've made through drinking alcohol. But we can just look into the present moment, that if people drink alcohol a lot, then the mindfulness and the wisdom that they have is reduced a lot as well. And they're constantly making this kind of karma. And this karma stays with them into their next life as well. So therefore, for us, if we drink, then we should try to give that up. We should abandon that habit. And really be intent that in this life, um, that we're not going to do that anymore. Perhaps we've drunk a lot already, but we're determined that with the rest of the life that we have, that we'll keep these five precepts and keep them well. So through doing this, we gain a new birth, a birth within our minds, that initially we gained this physical birth. We're born as a human and we become Buddhists. But next we need to gain an internal birth, a birth as a full human. So then we are determined that with the rest of the life that we have, that we will live this with, in a way that produces the best benefit, that will give benefit to ourselves and to the rest of the world. We need to really try to do this, to live our lives in this way. So we come and we chant, we meditate, we develop samadhi. And even though these can be quite difficult things to do, we still need to train in them and to do this every single day. And we keep our minds firmly established um, within these qualities. And samadhi brings us a lot of benefit because when we have our minds firmly settled already, then our sila will develop and become better and our wisdom will grow as well. 
So we develop all of these qualities of generosity, of virtue, and of meditation. And when we have cultivated our sila well, then we should come to meditate in order to develop our minds so that they gain wisdom. And it's not just in the monastery that we do this. And we can take up this practice of meditation everywhere. We contemplate that all things are unstable, they're all stressful, they're all not-self. We contemplate and see into the nature of conventions and knowing them in line with their reality. But it's not the case that we just don't do anything, that having seen the nature of conventions, we just sit around and do nothing. The Buddha taught that we need to really bring up effort in our work, in our occupations. We need to work well. We need to be someone who has a lot of endurance, who has this sincerity and integrity. And we need to try to practice following the teachings of the Buddha. The teachings that allowed the Buddha to awaken and that he gave us and passed on to us. When we gain wealth, then we need to know how to look after that wealth as well. Because some people, even though they may be very rich, they may have 10 million baht, for instance, they can lose that quite quickly as well if they're not careful. Maybe they'll meet some people who take them on a bad course, maybe invite them to gamble, take them on these paths to deprivation or destruction. And their wealth is lost due to that gambling. They can even lose 10 million baht in a very short space of time. And it's natural that having these defilements, that people want to be very rich, and they want to gain a lot of wealth very quickly. They think that if they gamble, they might be able to do that. But this is a dangerous path. It's something that we shouldn't go along. And the Buddha didn't teach us to be like this. And it's not the fact that just because we have respect in Buddhism, that we have faith in Buddhism, that we can just leave it at that and not put any of these teachings into practice. Because if we do that, it brings just a tiny amount of benefit towards us. But rather, holding the Buddha's teachings in high regard, we also need to put them into practice as well. And through doing this, we gain a lot of benefits. This gives us good results. So we don't just have this faith that the Buddha was free from defilements, a faith that he was pure. We don't just listen to these teachings without putting them into practice. Because if we do that, then we won't develop, we won't grow in any way. But rather we take these teachings and we use them. We pay homage to the Buddha through practicing them. And this is something that is really important for us to do, something that we should try to do a lot. We need to ensure that our minds today are better than they were yesterday. That if we were lacking in good qualities, that we try to raise those up, try to develop those. The things that aren't good, we try to abandon those. We build up merit, we build up skillfulness. And the things which are unskillful, then we abandon those. We cultivate this inner wealth, this noble wealth. Because we all know about external wealth already. But this inner wealth is something that we all need to develop and grow in. So when we come to meditate like we are, 
And then this is developing this noble wealth within our hearts. So when, on the occasion of people's funerals uh, in Thailand, the monks will chant the uh, seven books of the Abhidhamma. And this starts off with the words Kusala Dhamma, Akusala Dhamma. But we shouldn't just wait until we die in order to hear that, in order to know what that means. Because when we're dead, we don't have any idea what's going on. But rather we should prepare ourselves first. We should know what these things are about first. Know what skillfulness is about. Know what unskillfulness is about. This kusala and this akkusala. We should get to know these things first. All of the kusala, the skillful things, we develop these, we grow in these. Akusala, we abandon all of that. And we live our lives in this way, using what's left of our lives to do this, to be firmly established in heedfulness, to be established in goodness and the teachings of the Buddha. Through doing this, then our lives will develop, they will prosper. So before the Buddha's passing, this is the, the last teaching that he gave, to not be heedless. And we see that all of the 84,000 teachings that the Buddha gave can be gathered together into this, into knowing that all form, all feeling, all memory, all thoughts, um, and all sense consciousness is anicca, dukkha, anatta, is unstable, is stressful, is not self. So the Buddha, he awakens to these four noble truths, the truth of dukkha, of stress or suffering, the cause of that dukkha, its cessation and the path leading to that cessation. And we all know this already. And we all know suffering. We all know the causes of suffering, its cessation, um, the path. We've all heard about these things already. But what's left is for us to put them into practice. So we shouldn't get lost and distracted by and amused in the things of this world. Because there are so many things nowadays, so many tools and means that the, the world uses to distract us and to entice us, to get us lost on this path of karma, sukhali, kana, yoga, uh, of finding delight in sensuality. And it starts off with one day and then it goes into one week one year, and then one lifetime. So we should be intent to not get ourselves lost and distracted in these things. Even if we have a lot of wealth, a lot of happiness in the world, then we should see that these things are unstable, they're not sure. And one day we need to be separated from them. They can't stay with us forever. And so we shouldn't be heedless. And to contemplate these things as being anicca, dukkha, anatta, following the teachings of the Buddha. You need to be devoted to abandoning all evil, to developing skillfulness and bringing the mind to purity constantly. Because this is what the Buddha taught for us to be firmly established in heedfulness. To not be heedless in our lives, to not be heedless in our youth. Because some people, they're quite young. They have very strong and healthy bodies. But they don't see that 
that will need to decay, will need to deteriorate following age. And the people who are over the age of 50, they know about this already. They know about illness already. That their bodies have various kinds of ailments. Perhaps their blood pressure is too high, or they have diabetes, or their body is kind of weak in different ways. Different parts of the body have deteriorated, unfunctioning properly. People over the age of 50, they know this already. And uh, before, when we were young, then we may be able to do things that we can't do now. Perhaps we could run or walk very quickly, but now we can't do it. Before, we may have seen a hill or a mountain, and we could go up it, climb up it very quickly. But now we just look at it and we accept defeat. And so this is what happens, that the body deteriorates in this way. Initially it was was strong, but that degrades. Initially it had a lot of energy, but that fades. So before I ordained, I had a teacher called Ajahn Bunna, and he was about 60 years old then, and he ordained at the age of 55. And I went with him to the Bodhisattva cave in Sarapuri. And as we were walking up, he said that he was so tired, and, uh, and he said for me to go up, and he would uh, wait behind. And I was 22 years old then, and I wasn't tired at all. But I could see that he was really exhausted, and uh, he uh, was kind of huffing and puffing as he was walking up. So I could see old people like that, but I didn't really know old age. You just see it externally. But what's important is that we need to look at that and then bring in it inside as well, and contemplate that I will need to be that way as well. Because in the future, these things are going to happen to us. When we're 20 years or 30 years, we don't get so tired. But uh, when we get older than that, then the body starts to get very weak. When I was younger, then I would go up Kawangpajan mountain. And it was like I could just run up the mountain. I was 10 or 15 years at that time, and I could go up really quickly. And it was really easy to do that. But I would see old people trying to go up and they'd be really tired and exhausted as they walked up. Uh, so I didn't know what that, li- what that was like at that time because my age just wasn't enough. So we see that these bodies, they do need to grow old. They need to get sick and they need to die. So we should contemplate that these are normal things, that aging is normal, sickness is normal, death is normal. And we shouldn't be heedless in that. That these devadutas, these heavenly messengers, they're coming already. They're giving us a warning already. They're telling us not to be heedless. Telling us that these lives of ours do need to deteriorate. They eventually will end. So we should establish ourselves well in heedfulness just like the Buddha taught. So we come and we offer our practice and homage to the fully self-awakened Buddha. And through doing this, uh, this allows us to grow and prosper in the Dhamma. And so I ask for all of you to be intent in this. May all of you develop in this path. May all of you practice this path well. 
And may you prosper in both the worldly things and in the Dhamma.